0: you're going uh this is Colin Shots I'm seth Partner I'm joined by uh my favorite tosser of softballs uh Kirk Henderson of Mavs Moneyball Kirk how you doing tonight
1: Not bad not bad I'm enjoying this actual off season
0: This yeah it, it feels weird it feels um endless to be honest
1: Well, see, you've been doing this for a real long time. I took over as, like, boss of of Mavs Moneyball. Like, well, let's call me manager. I'm not really an editor, since I can't spell. But I I took over as manager of the website March 1st, 2020, which was a terrible time (laughs) to take (laughs) take on anything new. And
0: and what happened next?
1: (laughs) And so it's just like, it kind of felt like just two and a half straight seasons. If we're being honest, and then this has just been nice, you know. In particular, I don't really like the way some of the off dragged on with the player with the non player movement. But you know, overall, the, it's 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 okay right now. I'm I'm in, I'm enjoying myself, and we can actually look at stuff with some sense of perspective. I think.
0: I you know I, I wasn't necessarily a complaint about the offseason seeming long. It's just it's been long enough that like I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, more of a football person than a basketball person. And he asked me, like, what, what some of my favorite under-the-radar moves were this off season? And for the first time I can remember, I was like, I don't actually remember the moves that happened this summer, because it all seemed like they happened so long ago. Uh, <laughs> and which which, which, is, which is, is, a, is a new thing. Um, speaking of things that, that seem to have happened forever ago, uh, the place I wanted to start is, I think, one of the more interesting kind of Swirling subtopics of of kind of headed, coming out of last year's playoffs into this season because I think it affects it has kind of affected the perception of multiple teams. Um, that was some distance on it. What do you make of the end of the Suns-Mavericks series? And and do you, what would you what would your takeaway be for either team or both teams now? Be maybe that it wasn't at the time.
1: I think whatever happened between DeAndre Ayton and the coaching staff threw off the vibes of the room so badly that they were never able to recover. Because the you know, the, what makes Chris Paul led uh, teams such monsters during the regular season? I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked if they hit their over more, you know, almost always compared to to what you know the, the betting line is. But the problem with that is that if you run into this, like any adversity, there's really nowhere to go because Chris Paul has been doing that the whole time, and DeAndre J- or Jordan, DeAndre Ayton, sort of threw his little fit at the worst possible time, and I I, I want to say it was Game Four, maybe, maybe it was Game Five, but he got into real bad, like picked up two really bad fouls after missing like some bunnies, and then we just like never saw him the rest of one of those games. And he was so vital to their. Uh, I mean, he's huge, like number one overall draft pick. He had bought into a role, and the Mavericks really couldn't stop him. He kind of only stopped himself with poor decision making, and I think from there it created just enough of an opening for Luca to start. Like because they were down, Mavericks were down three two. You had in the game six. The Mavericks proceeded to outscore the Suns by 60 points over the next 96 minutes, and it was brutal. And, and I just think sometimes in sports, and maybe the three ball really plays a big part in this, but you can just get stuck in a bit of an avalanche, and the, the Suns are going to have to figure out how to mentally bounce back from that. The Mavericks did it to them, but the Suns gave them the opening, if that makes any sense.
0: It does, and I think that's it's sort of caused a reevaluation of the Suns, but, and, and, but that seem it doesn't seem like the, the sort of knock on effect with respect to the Mavs and to some degree, the Pelicans, like, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of been, been, you know, asking this question, putting it this way, uh, are the Mavs a, a conference finals team or are they a team that just made the conference finals? And it seems like, and it, 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 it so and that I think that's that is a pertinent question in in terms of how one views their off season. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it, I I guess like I obviously in the moment you're elated to to win that series as a as a Mavs fan. Yeah. Um then the the next series happens and I think it was, I mean, it's fair to say that they were outclassed by Golden State.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I mean sort of What worked for them, and I I did a podcast with with Kenny Heindel yesterday, and she wrote a really nice piece for her uh, sub-stack basketball feelings, where she wrote a paragraph that basically said everything that had worked for the Mavericks up until that point, their kind of exacting commitment to rotations, to like a real firm level of defense, the Warriors just tore that scab off and the Mavericks had no real way to go. Pair that with sort of the Warriors' defensive versatility, the Mavericks were outclassed, and that's not an insult. It's just saying that one team has significantly better players than the other. <laughs> it's just kind of, that just is the way of it.
0: So, you know, we, again, with that, before we even getting into, you know, this offseason, then we, like kind of taking that reset, like... Where what what should have going into the off season? Okay, we basically run it back. What are what should our expectations be? Like, how would you like? Obviously, everything happens so fast that some that I th- that I think that there's often decisions get made, and this isn't um, this isn't specific to the Mavs or to this off season at all. But I think you know, in the afterglow of this like playoff run, you go straight into you know, the, there's not a lot of time because you go straight into pre draft and straight into free agency and straight into summer league and then all your moves are done and it's like, wow, that happened fast and, and, and we've got time to think about it now. So mm-hmm. kind of I, I I I'm I'm not sure that, that any team really necessarily has adequate time to reflect before they act. So putting yourselves in the shoes of, of Nico Harrison or whoever else might be calling the shots, kind of, what would your say you know Again, hindsight of what actually happened is probably, like, like kills this, this, this exercise dead anyway. But best as you can, what would you have said at that moment? <sighs>
1: it's tough. <laughs> you know, you and I talked right – we did, like, a 10-minute podcast for my show because I just wanted you to make the argument of why it was okay if the Mavericks parted ways with Brunson – And for the better part of two years, I had sort of quietly held and made the argument that like, I didn't think Brunson was great for this team. Then what happened was the start of the 21, 22 season, he was really their only consistent player, maybe him and Dorian Finney Smith for the first half of the 2021, 22 season with Luca and COVID and everything like Brunson was the guy and Brunson earned his money. Um, Brunson I think is sort of telling tales about how he would have accepted a 4 for 55 million dollar extension before the trade deadline I just I don't believe that I think this was a thing that by by December his camp had to know that there was a lot of interest for him out there and
0: you by know his camp seemed... you mean his
1: father Yeah his father like yeah. but there were you know there there were other teams in the cap room at that point but it's you know the Knicks were kind of the big bully in the room And so I I think, you know, sorry, I'm not even answering your question. I'm just kind of telling a tale here. (laughs) Um, It's uh, the Mavericks were stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I think the real question that that is almost unanswerable is when did the Mavericks know that he was gone? Because I've heard a lot of conflicting things when I ask around about this. And if they knew before the trade deadline that he was likely to be gone, then that is a front office disaster. If they didn't, then this is something that you can chalk up to Donnie Nelson making a bad contract decision four years ago. And I think that moving on from Brunson was kind of an inevitability, which makes me, you know, maybe not then, but eventually. Because, you know, you sign him to a twenty-two to $25 million deal. If the cap expands, they sign a new TV deal, and the cap goes up. And there's another star on the market. Brunson's the guy who's getting shipped out. Because the salary's big enough. He's a good enough player. You can you know, sweeten the deal with picks. And so from his point of view, he probably looked at this and said, you know, this is, I, I have a probably two to two and a half year window with the Knicks to do something and do it on my terms. So, you know, he he had to leave. And I think that, that Nico Harrison has been put in a really tough position because the Mavericks have, due to a combination of bad luck and sort of Donnie Nelson's, <sighs> negligence is not a fair thing because donnie did a great way but like, he was great at making something out of nothing repeatedly it's just the mavericks were the mavericks tried to move up their timetable by signing chris Stapp's Porzingis, for and it just didn't work but the problem was they moved so much capital they don't really they don't really have a lot of flexibility and so that this is this year I, i've sort of taken the tack of this may be the year that the mavericks need to take their medicine now they might take their medicine and win 50 games is the weird part. <laughs> I don't really know. You know, it's, it kind of feels like elements of the Dirk, you know, uh, the Dirk series, uh, uh, period all over again, where it's just, you have one guy that gives you a, a floor and it's like, how far up can you rate, you know, what's the ceiling for, for that team. So I, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling, but I, I think that Nico kind of, Negro Harrison did probably about as good the as job as they could have done, with the one exception of I think they really horrifically misjudged this Dragic situation, but that's just me
0: um i mean I guess i would i would maybe this is a way to get into it like i the in many ways, this is the classic off season where a lot of the moves individually made sense and collectively like you wonder what the overarching plan was. And that that, yeah. I think that would be my, I mean, I think that, like, okay, sign JaVel McGee for, you know, amounts, that's fine, but multiple years and declare him your starter, okay. Um, Christian Wood, I, for a team with Luka, which therefore is a team with championship aspirations, guy who's been in the NBA since six years, seven years now, who's never played a playoff game and i think you have real questions about whether his game translates to the playoffs um and then like do that and you know letting your second best player walk as you know i think as i as you mentioned as i kind of argued to you in a vacuum like i thought i think that was perfectly defensible but you do that and you trade capital for christian wood and you sign a late 30s center to to be your starter like those things don't seem to mesh mhm Mm-hmm.
1: And I sort of wonder, there's elements of things where you wonder what the timing was because we all are well aware that free agency deals are what? done. What
0: happened? What? No. you're. I, I don't believe you. I'm what do sorry. You mean? I, I'm, I'm feigning shock about this. Oh,
1: sure. Sorry. I'm, I'm- sorry. <laughs> Baffled me. Well, It's like, it's, it's like if the JaVale McGee thing was done for a couple of weeks, let's just assume, like, let's just make the assumption that the Javel McGee thing was done for a couple of weeks. I think the Christian Wood thing happened rather quickly uh, because if we're remembering all the draft chatter, the Magic basically successfully fainted everyone into thinking they weren't taking Pablo Banchero, and I think that the Rockets were kind of expecting Paolo to be there. Um, just my opinion. Could be wrong. So I think they're ready to move on from Wood. That happened pretty quickly. And I don't see this Wood-McGee thing. It's, you know, the Maverick Radio guy, Chuck Cooperstein, said, well, a lot of teams are doing this too big thing. And I remember, I think you and I might have had this, like, exchange. where It's like, yeah, a lot of teams are doing the too big thing when the bigs are good. And that's not to say JaVale and Christian Wood are bad. It's not the case, but it's are they all, like are they approaching the same level as any of the other two big combinations that we've seen—the Steven Adams, the Jaron Jackson, the uh, you know what we're going to see with Rudy Gobert and um, our other guy up there in Minnesota. Like it's not—it's yeah. just not the same thing. And the Mavericks are also—I feel like they've already sort of semi <sighs> sullied this by by promising uh, Javale McGee a starting spot followed up by bringing in the guy who's on the last year of his deal, his $14 million deal in Wood, and telling him he's coming off the bench. And it, it's just, you can't start, like, maybe I'm overthinking this, but these guys are all, they all have strong egos. So why, why would you do that? And, and maybe, again, I'm overreading because when you got a guy like Luca, the floor is sort of there. But I thought they'd found a really interesting way of playing basketball where they had sort of a... A triple—it's not really a triple option—but when you have Jalen Brunson, uh, Dinwiddie, and Luca all sort of doing different things from the same position, because they all had different strengths and weaknesses, it was difficult for teams to guard. I mean, you don't get to the Western Conference Finals by it being easy. Um, and so that it's—it's it's just kind of a perplexing thing. But I also sort of sit back and wonder, you know, what. I don't know what other moves were there. Like, the the Mavericks are not a destination. They're never going to be a destination. Mark Cuban has said a couple of times, ah, guys are going to want to play with Luka. That is just not true. Guys who know who they are in their career might want to play with Luka. But I don't see a, another star wanting to play with a 35% usage guy. It's going to have to be a special pairing. It's going to have to be something that's done, you know, in the off season where luca is often overseas playing with different guys like there's he, he's not going to be one of these relationships guy he's not going to be a recruiter he's he's,
0: he's not a to, USA is what you're saying
1: yeah yeah i mean even overseas like that's what was crazy about like if if he would have you know we know where luca sits in terms of the front office like whether he has a say when his mentor gets signed by another team a day after, during a Slovenian team press conference, where people are asking, "Are you two going to play together?" and, and the answer is apparently no, because they offer Dragic the, the Boban Marjanovic role, which is, it's, I get why, but it's also a little bit insulting to a guy who is. I think he's going to show up in these in these Euroleague championships, and it's, it's gonna it's gonna make this whole thing with the Mavericks look a little bit confusing, even though I understand it's completely different basketball, completely different number of games and commitments. And I don't know, it's, it just could go both ways. But I, I, I'm having a heart like, at the moment, during free agency, I found myself very frustrated covering this team and kind of a fan website point of view. But now it's just kind of like, well, you know, I've seen the schedule, the Mavericks have a brutal November. If they make it out of November anywhere approaching 500, then I think it's going to be considered a success. And then you just sort of see what happens, and you try to survive an 82 game season.
0: At, at, yes, that sounds right. it's just that seems like that seems just that that seems aimless with the <laughs> team. I, <think. laughs> I I guess that's. I guess that's that's sort of my, you know. Uh, and I, I just wanted to, to follow up on something you said. You, you said no one's going to want to play with the 35-usage Luka. Nobody's going to want to do that in Dallas, I think, is... Yeah, Like yeah. If if Donovan Mitchell goes to New York, he's going to have a 30-something usage. I mean, if he stays in Utah, he's going to have a 30-something usage. And they're like, the Knicks certainly think that that's going to be a draw. Now, the Knicks have been wrong about stuff like that before, but... um. I think it's, it's, it seems more plausible, even with the vast gulf in level of, of, of those two players. Right.
1: Right. And that's
0: why isn't Dallas? Why isn't Dallas more of a I mean, we, we hear all the time about, well, no state income tax. Um, but is, is it just that, you know, Dallas and, and a lot of NBA players are from Texas? So I'm just I'm I'm kind of wondering why why it is that, that this has just never been the case. Is, <sighs> I, is, is it something specific to the city? Is it something about the franchise? Or is it just like there's only like a couple places that actually are destinations?
1: I think like my like I've waffled back and forth on this. When I'm angry I want to say it's Mark Cuban being the owner. When I'm being rational, I think it's their six cities guys want to play in.
0: I mean, I think the fact that, like, it's not that Houston and, and, and San Antonio don't have extensive track record of, of, unless I'm missing something, they don't have extensive right. you know, free, agent, free agency track records. And I guess, you know, to the extent we want to say Chris Paul was a, was a free agent, like that's and and that was a very sp- kind of specific circumstances I, I think, given you know age and player and stuff like that. So, but beyond that, like I, I you know, it, 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 it it's hard to remember like big time free agents like deciding to come to a Texas team. Yeah,
1: and I think that there's an opportunity. You know, Jason Kidd. And the coaching staff they've assembled, which seems to be, like, a very kind of player-friendly coaching staff. Um, I, I would, you know, I'm not going to ask you to comment on this. But I do think that, like, kid has sort of, at least in terms of perceptions, edited how he had been in previous stops where there are, like, I knew who all the assistant coaches were. Under Rick Carlisle, that was never the case. Like, it was Sham God. You knew, uh, Ginny, uh, what's her, what's her last name it starts with the B? Buchek. Uh, Buchek. Um, and then by the end of the, his last year, we all knew who Mosley was, but it was not the way, you know, Jared Dudley's out there. There was, um, the, the guy who just uh, left the team, the, uh, Igor Kokoskov, um, there is Greg St. Jean, who is, gosh, that guy's, man, he is a fascinating guy, um, seems like a real coaching lifer uh, and it just it seems like there's there's a very collaborative um, at least right now in like the coaching and team cycle where everyone's kind of on the up and up and liking one another and I think that could maybe be an appeal. It's just you have to be in the right situation at the right time and the Mavericks like their books are just such a mess. I mean they're they're over the cap for the next two seasons, I think. And that, you know, that's just with the team that they have right now. When And it, it feels like sort of an element when, um, like an NFL team, they get the, the star quarterback on the rookie deal. And that's when you have, that's really when you take your shots to go in the Super Bowl early. You've got to try. The Mavs really messed that part up when Porzingis didn't work out. Because I don't want to say they messed it up because I, I still understand the rationale behind Porzingis. It's just, it seemed like knowing what we know and you know this and I've talked to people too the decision making process behind going and getting Porzingis was was <sighs> we got to do this now 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 and it, I don't and I will not I just I won't ever understand that um because it seemed like you, it, so many teams that are good now the teams that are regularly good the uh like the Celtics are going to be there for a while the Bucks um you, you build your your core through the draft. You got to get lucky, of course. You got to get lucky, but the the teams that are good, you know, Warriors, et cetera, have all built through the draft and then accentuated using free agency, just like NFL teams do. The very best teams, at least you know. You, of course, you're going to have your outliers, your or Brooklyn, your Brooklyn's, your Lakers. But when you do stuff like that through free agency, you also have like just it seems like a, a wider margin to, to to like delve into catastrophe.
0: I think that's. I think that's uh, uh, maybe a little just a function of, of specific teams being really good right now. I think that that um, the notion that the draft is pri- like basically if we start saying well it's the draft over everything it's basically well n- nobody knows anything and well let's just see who gets lucky because uh, I mean the draft is you know you can be good at the draft but the draft is not is not especially predictable and I, I, so I think that drafting well is part of it but I think it's. Like yeah, starting with acquiring like that that tentpole star, for most teams that involves the draft. But the other pieces around them, you assemble any way you can. Like the Bucks didn't draft Chris Middleton, right? You know that that's the I mean they they certainly they, they certainly developed him. I mean they, but because and he was you know so, almost a a a, a throw in. And I've I've I frankly he, that was before my time with the team, and I I don't think I ever really discussed like whether he was. A guy that they were specifically targeting, or just someone who kind of ended up in the trade. I don't, I don't know that either way. So, so I mean, if if, if he was someone they'd specific like they they'd identified and targeted, like good for them because obviously second round pick becomes develops into multi multi time all star. Um, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good job. Um, but then you know Drew Holiday was trade like, and and the pieces used to get Drew Holiday were also people you know. You know, it's it's basically it's 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 you know six degrees of Greg Monroe almost, like it get gets you to Holiday, so right. and that was a free agency signing. So I mean, I think that that we can go too far, and that's just that's just one team. I mean, yeah, Phoenix, like yeah, they drafted Booker, they they traded for Bridges, but that kind of counts as drafted. But obviously, like uh, you know, Paul like Paul J Crowder, like other very key parts of the team are. are so I, I guess. I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, we can we because of who the best teams happen to be, the league tends to be well, you got to do it this way. And it's like yeah. oh, no it's it's really hard and only three teams manage it at any one time. That that's so you
1: you're you're obviously right there. I am overstating this. What I will say when I when I do kind of speak about the draft or kind of allude to it outside of the Mavericks had a good draft in 1998 when they drafted Dirk
0: Nowitzki. In 2003... Traded, traded for him from the... Traded Milwaukee for him, Rucks. really,
1: right, yeah. yeah. From the- they they <laughs> they traded, or they drafted Josh Howard as he fell in 2003. They made a brilliant draft day trade for two, for Devin Harris in 2005. And then after that, the next decent draft that they had involved Luka Doncic in 2018. Um, part of that is because they always moved pieces along. Uh, but Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic were two of like the two best draft picks over a 15-year period and you cannot i think realistically in the nba particularly as it became clear that first rounders were becoming more and more and potentially overvalued but you cannot shut off one element of team building which is what the mavericks did um i understand why they did it for dirk for years and years i also understand why they made the move you know Some of it's lottery luck. They were if they would have stayed in three, they could have drafted Luka Doncic. Instead, they fell to five, and then they had to trade up, and then they traded for two pieces for Porzingis. Like, I again, I understand all this, but if you're basically saying the only way we can get better is by internal development of um, undrafted free agents and through free agency, I think there's a real limit on that, regardless of whether you have a superstar or not.
0: Yeah, I think I think that ends up with you like you. You end up with, you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think you know we shouldn't we shouldn't take my tears as the end all be all, but maybe we should. I mean, you had you know who is the second best player? It's like you know it's between Brunson and Dorian Finney Smith. Neither of them I think are if if either of them is a top fifty player in the league, it's just barely. And kind of you know as good as Luca is, like he would have to be like. One of the two or three best players in the league, and they'd have to have like, and they'd have to be like seven or eight deep with top 100 players. For well, first. Ryan
1: Blackburn, who you, I think he works at Mile High Sports now, did a Western Conference power ranking using your tiers as just as how he did that. And in terms of talent based on tiers, the Mavericks are ninth in the West right now, um, based on your most recent tiers piece. That's, that that and, seems about right.
0: Just off right. the. But yeah,
1: which is to say that, like, if you if you sort of accept that there's this muddy middle ground between ten and probably five, that you know, in any given series, something could happen, a team could do whatever. But it is sort of stark to see that when you think about some of the other teams that are in the West, and that's where you know your initial question about the off season and where do the Mavericks go from here? I am. It's just very muddy. I mean, they're lucky that they have Luka locked into a contract, and I think they're lucky. I mean, lucky is not correct, but there's elements of like what's going on with other teams in the league. You know that if, if like Joe side basically tells Durant to, you know, suck it up. Like there's there's elements of all this, and you know that might benefit the Mavericks because it seems like. You know, I don't. I don't know Luca from, from at all. Obviously, but at the moment, it doesn't strike me as he's the type of guy two and a half years left on his contract to, to subtly like start throwing bombs. But the, the Mavericks have a, a limited window with which to figure out how to better accentuate a generational superstar, and that that sort of pressure is just—it's very difficult to deal with. And and they're just gonna. That and the Mavericks haven't really recouped, like, they don't have any, like, they don't have any assets. They still owe the Knicks pick this next year. Uh, and, and that is, it's just, it's, it's very limiting. I, I, I'm trying to, like, say it without screaming into the void because it's just, it's, it's gonna get, if the Mavericks stumble at all this year, because year two of the Jason Kidd experience historically has always, a uh, has been a bit of a, um, roller coaster, even though I, I don't think that's going to happen this year. It it just leaves me a little bit as worried as I can be about a team that just made the Western Conference Finals. How's that?
0: How much of it is there's a little bit of seen this movie before in that I think you, you kind of alluded to it earlier in, in, in comparing to the Dirk years where we've got this, 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 there's not really a like we're going to be Fine, we're gonna be pretty good. We're gonna be in the playoffs basically every year he's healthy. But the, there's not really a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Is that is that is that a fair way of say of stating it succinctly?
1: Yeah, and like light is sort of seems it's it might be a little bit
0: Championship heats. Championship right. heats, shall we right. say
1: it's they're still going to be very good. They're still going yeah. to be very fun. And you never know what could happen and materialize. Like, that's sort of what it feels like the Mavericks are banking on. Like, something to materialize. And that's just – it's a its a risky endeavor. Well, I hope is not a plan. Right. Because, you know, even understanding that, like, draft picks and, and things like that are, are up in the air – like there's still a bit of a gamble there's no, there's still the, like the simple fact that those things are within like you can make the choice to select a player you can make you know if you have cap space you can make that you can do your best to make the pitch but when you don't have cap space and you don't have draft picks you're just sort of hoping to be you know you're, you're hoping at the bar at the end of the night that something's going to work out for you and
0: and on it, some level it kind of has
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, for like well, the Mavericks, almost always. That's actually the funny part. Did you yeah. see that that Kirk Goldberry thing that he put out where it's like since two thousand the winning percentages of certain franchises? Like the Mavericks are like third. It, it, they're bananas. They've really lucked up so many times.
0: Well, I, I think I think that's a little unfair to the Dirk years because those were. I mean, I think. Um, this is something that I harp on a fair amount: is that that Dirk championship team. It's like, oh man, what a collection of role players that was! Like, no, there was like six Hall of Famers on that team, and not all of them. You know, maybe maybe none of them were in their prime, but they were all still really good. Maybe six is <laughs> maybe six too many, but like, but I mean, Sean Marion should be in the Hall of Fame, but that whole other, that's a Just, whole other. Can of I would like
1: like I you could probably get him on a call in because the way he talks about his own career is spectacular because he's like, you have no, he, I've heard him. He goes on spaces and he yells at people. He's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Um, but you're right. You're right. If, well, I have
0: callers like, to tell me I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. I don't need former NBA yeah, players yeah. to come on. That's, in. that's for sure. I don't hurt man. my feelings, man, but there's, <laughs>
1: It's it's so I, I think you're 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 usually right. That's why you know you and you and our friend Matt Moore like to pick on me because both of you tend to know more stuff than me. But when it comes to to this sort of team building exercise, like I, I think that I'm I'm very curious to see what happens next because part of me doesn't think the off season is done for the Mavericks yet because right now they literally have two guards that can bring the ball up the court and, and initiate a set. They have Spencer Dinwiddie and they have Luka Doncic. Um, you you know unless they're going to start doing weird stuff with Josh Green, which I sort of would like because then I might be able to see if he's an actual basketball player instead of an Australian idea. Um, I just I can't imagine that they would go in because otherwise you're going to have like a 44 percent usage rate for Luka just because you have to have someone dribble the ball.
0: So I think this is a good good place to to switch to talking about Luka. First of all. Um... How much of that usage rate is on Luca and how much of it is team building? This is something like I've, I've, I, you know, I think my opinions about, you know, my, my at times frustration with Trey Young are well-known and some of it is sort of uh, my frustrations with Atlanta for just, you know, saying, okay, our offense is Trey. And with the limitations that has, I think that, that even Luca is better, but I think we've seen that there are some limitations to being so dependent there. And some of it is frankly on Luca, mm. um, you know, I think that, that, you know, getting off the ball a little bit, I think, I think we've seen that the extreme heliocentrism doesn't and like the, 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 one time it's sort of come close to working was LeBron when everyone else on his team was hurt. Okay. And that's okay. that's a that's kind of like the but LeBron is sort of the the, the rule proving exception, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think there's there's something there. I think that you know I spent a good portion yesterday watching Slovenia play Serbia, and the defense right now, like Luca is is too smart. He knows the right play. You know, I argue with with Andrew Sharp. Of, of the, you know, formerly of the open floor, now the GOAT podcast, who insists, and Matt, Matt Moore does this too, who insists that Luca is like hardened. I, I, no, <laughs> number one, but Luca wants to play and wants his team to win. He doesn't want to win his way. He wants to win and he will do the thing that will give you the best chance of winning every time. And the way the NBA and the, like the, the way that they, the way the game is called now where, Frankly, he talked about it this on the J.J. Reddick podcast where he's counting defender steps in the key. The math and, and you know, please tell me if I'm wrong here. The math favors Luca doing something over Tim Hardaway, over um, Dorian Finney-Smith, who has become an excellent role player, over Spencer Dinwiddie, the human variance machine. Like, it, it, it's so much more about roster construction. To
0: me. so this is this is this is an interesting this is an interesting topic which um this is this is sort of where um you know you take you take uh, uh, some lessons from my poker background a little bit okay. It's like you if you are if you're playing straight value like I have a good hand I bet I think I have a better hand than you I bet uh that probably works at a low level where no one knows what they're doing and they can barely mm. read their own hand. Um you gotta mix it up a little bit. And so yeah, on maybe on any given possession, like Luca might be the best option, but across all possessions, I think you're I think you're you see diminishing returns, even if there's never a point where a Tim Hardaway possession is better than a Luca possession. Maybe some, maybe the t- maybe a few more Tim Hardaway possessions make all the previous Luka, all the existing Luka possessions better. I th- and I think that's that's or 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 more more pertinently perhaps the highest leverage Luka possessions better.
1: Well, see, and that's why I bring up the Slovenia Serbia game. I don't know if you're going to have the ability to go look at this, but I really want you to. I saw Luca used as the roll man four times. Ooh. Luca has never been the roll man that I can remember in Dallas.
0: Okay, he finished, I'm, he, I'm here for that.
1: He finished a pick and roll off the glass and flexed like he was Carl Malone. Okay, on the, as as the roll man using a, like a very 1990s pick and roll style thing where he was you know literally five feet away from the ball handler. And receives this, you know, almost like a, like an option handoff. It was from the right wing. And I'm not sure if it was a design play. I think it was because so much of this Euro, uh, this Euro ball is, is very, very um, choreographed. There's, you know, Lucas still does a lot of high screen and roll in those situations. But they do some really interesting stuff with him. They... Hell, they, they moved him off ball a lot. And it's not just like last year what the Mavericks did to get Luka, quote, off ball was basically have someone else dribble the ball off the floor. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, like, actions and things where Luka's cutting. Like, doing other stuff. He 1,000% needs to do these things. Let's be clear here. But they have to have players then that will then do the right thing. I really grew to appreciate Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson quietly plays like six foot one Luka Doncic, like he, that man is. He had thirty five percent usage rate himself. Spencer Dinwiddie is a truly baffling basketball player, and I think Mavericks fans are not going to be like he's the guy in your in your office when things are going great. You love him when things are struggling. He and his blunt honesty is not cute and you know he shot 9% above his career from 3 with the Mavericks <laughs> like i come on like what are we doing I, I everybody that's super into him is like oh it's great it's no i, I no i i i am happy he will probably play somewhere in between those two points but maximize dinwiddie was what what they had like i just don't see how else they're going to they're going to do some of this, and that's where it gets back to the team building question. I really do think it's team building, but I do understand why so many people, particularly like less less um, consistent watchers, I don't want to say astute. That's rude, but it's just so easy to draw the conclusion that, that Luca has all these bad habits. And then I go watch him play with Slovenia, and all of a sudden, while he still has like the stupid shot tendency, where it's like he almost lost a game for him by taking back to back terrible threes, and then try to behind the back. Pass from thirty feet away that was a turnover, but it's a friendly, so he didn't really, you know. And there's just there's elements of it where it's just like this guy knows what he's doing. You have to prove, like he understands. It's it's not a feel thing. It's not like it's it's both feel and and his ability to to you know make the right decision based off of him knowing what should happen. So I I, I don't know. I I really. I bristle at this because it just—it's not as easy as Luca. You need to be the role man, though. I understand why maybe it should be. It's just this is the fifty million dollar man. What do you do?
0: Right, but that—I mean—that—that is sort of the—that is sort of the question. Is this is—and this has sort of been a little bit up until they traded for Dejounte Murray. It's been a little bit of the Hawks question. It's been you know certainly. Uh, like the Harden's teams before the Nets, at least, question is how much of their lack of other ball handlers is almost by demand. Yeah. And, it, and it's not not even like, in some cases, it's an explicit demand, I think. But in other cases, it's just like, no, I'm not going to play off the ball so I don't <laughs> to another ball handler. Right. And it's, you may not say that, but your game says that. And so I don't like, and because we haven't really, gotten a chance to other than you know dennis smith jr um <laughs> we've we've never really gotten a chance to 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 see Luca presented with you know like so i'll i'll revise and say like it with a, a competent person who all right your turn mm-hmm. and i feel i feel i feel good about what we're gonna get if you if you if you initiate the play yeah and and you know it's and and you know maybe you could say Brunson, but I think the stylistic um, similarity you mentioned sort of made that an odd. That made it pretty strictly your turn, my turn, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who can you know do the things that that would unlock kind of Luca's off-ball game. Whether that's you know as you said, playing out of the role, playing out of the post, some playing as a spot-up threat.
1: I mean, it was just like – it was baffling to me where it's like you have Jalen Brunson who's a point guard. You have Luka Doncic who is a power power forward, whatever you want to call him. Power point forward. Who cares? Like LeBron James but not as athletic. Um, how do you not run a screen and roll between those two ever? I, I, I you know, I, I don't have access to any of this data that you do, but I'd be curious if Brunson was ever the, the roller the way they used to use Seth Curry or if Luka was ever the roller with Jalen Brunson. And to me, that is – either a failure in coaching or a failure in play style to where no one gets together and says, you know, why don't we try this? Why, why can't this work? And, and
0: without that, looking just, it up, <laughs> my strong intuition is that they probably did small, small pick and roll with Luca. That was small, quote, small, small pick and yeah. roll with, with Luca as the ball handler mm-hmm. of a fair amount and almost never the reverse. Yeah. And that's yeah. just you. And like, you know, wait, large guy with great hands, great passing, a great passing and the ability to operate in traffic as a role, man, like, you know, like, a, like a Draymond Green, but he can score mm-hmm. like, like using, using offensively using Luca that way. That's kind of interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what I would love to see, but I just don't see the Mavericks ever doing right, it right. for whatever reason.
0: Right. So let, uh, um, the other so so I did not see the the the, the Slovenia game. Um, I have, however, seen the uh, Fisherman Luca picture where he looks like he is. Mm. How much of that was just one picture? And for those who haven't seen the picture, he looks. I, I want to go beyond svelte and almost go like maybe not quite emaciated, but like he looks like he's built more like a soccer player. Than, he looks. And, he
1: looks fantastic. Um it's okay. almost alarming how great he looks right now. Okay. I, I don't have, so I'm going to send, I'm going to put this in the Slack channel that we share. Um, he looked like he shoots a sky. He won. He shot a sky hook, uh, an honest to goodness sky hook over, um, over Jokic. That was like, made me yelp as I saw it. And it went in like just a be, he, that's, it's just, it, it was such a, like a hilarious reminder that he is, um, a basketball savant uh to a degree and he just he looks amazing and i don't know i think he really gets this thing and like it's just it's one of the things that makes him pretty relatable is that he i think he gets like alcohol uh and food like uh bloating where it just like he looks like hell i also think it's the cut of the nike uniforms because like what like look at this photo did, did you get do you have access to it i just slacked it, it
0: to you this is the great radio, Kirk. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Best yeah, <laughs> stuff. Well,
1: I couldn't think. I, I,
0: I, oh my goodness! I my, right? It looks like actually from the angle of the picture, he kind of looks like our vetus Sabonis, actually. Yes. But
1: like his his arms and his body look muscular but lean, and also Jokic, who also looks incredible. I think is worth saying, but it's you know we used to have these same conversations about Jokic two years ago. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I think
0: that's, that's a that's a you know I mean if we're we're talking about. I think we we mentioned earlier, like, you know, Luca becoming a top two or three player in the world, all of a sudden the burden on the supporting cast is a little bit lighter. Right. And I think that the the lowest hanging fruit was probably like that little extra bit of conditioning and I think we've seen over the last couple of years what that has done for Jokic.
1: Right. Right. And it's it's a commitment over time, and I think that's where you know we were joking about um, the off season for real, but I think that, that you know, when you look at the amount of basketball that particularly international guys who play for their national teams have played going back to the bubble and beyond, it it's not it's on the one hand it's like perfect it's almost impressive how out of shape Luca managed to get um, how much weight he would put on. Um, cause he would, and you know, ever the Slovenians would kill me for this. When you get body shaming, uh, I'm like, man, look at him. Like there's a picture of him against the Boston Celtics in preseason from 2021, where he has the most amazing dad belly. And you see, no, it's against the bucks. Cause Drew Holiday is like bouncing off him. I have it on my phone <laughs> and it's, it's like, uh, it, it's just like a guy in rec league who's just bigger than everybody else, and he's just got this like the and, and he doesn't like by the end of the season he doesn't look like that. Like you know this better than me, but I think some players have like a real hard time keeping weight on during the season. And I'm like, I was told one person that Luca liked playing a little bit heavier just because he didn't want to. He want you know, it's kind of like the Shack thing where he didn't like all the, the um, physicality he was having to deal with. So he might like he liked playing heavier just so he could deal with it better, but. I don't know. I, I think this is going to be you know year two. So he's made three straight All NBA first teams. Okay, and that's ridiculous on its face. I, I make the the I really you know you're you're and my friend um, Ben Thompson. I drove him crazy the other day in his Slack message because so I said Luca could be Thanos snapped right now and would be a first bout Hall of Fame for to the Naismith Hall of Fame, not the NBA Hall of Fame because there's no such thing. But Luca's accolades are. Like, amazing. And if he comes in, like, in order for him to be, like, an MVP candidate, I think the Mavericks are going to have to be, like, a top four in the West team. I don't think we're going to – I think that that Jokic getting back-to-backs with subpar teams, like, I think that's that we're going to see – we're not going to see anything like that for three or four years just because of the voting narrative. But, you know, but if Luka looks like this, I think there's a case to be made that the Mavericks could be a top four team. I don't know. It's such an interesting like collision of issues because we just talked about how the team—it's kind of not great, you know.
0: But and it, but it, and it might only matter sort of. Yeah. So I think that that I think they get to the place that the natural place to end is then like, what's a successful season look like? For, from your perspective, I think I think that the a successful season from the team's perspective is I think probably not on the table. Because I think their expectations, you know, they they are, they, are, they seem like they think they're they, they you know, it's it's they're not the first team to do this, but hey, we made we made the conference finals. We start as a conference finals team and 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 build from there instead of kind of having to reach that point again.
1: Right. I think. Uh, to me, it's forty-eight wins and avoiding the play-in if I'm uh, uh, that's you know a little bit of soft biggest bigotry of low expectations going on but the Mavericks once uh, 35 they went 35 and 12 in the new year last year that is unsustainable <laughs> like that's all time team pace um and it, it's To me, it's it's managing how to figure out how to contend in a really tough West. I mean, the West is significantly better right now on paper just because of guys coming back from season-long injuries. I mean, their their, uh, division alone is ridiculous. Like, New Orleans is getting back Zion, and he looks great. And then, you know, Clippers and Nuggets getting dudes back. And it's really something. I think second round would also be considered a success no matter where they finish um that that's sort of it for me but i i think avoiding a atlanta hawksian um were you remember when Trey young made those asinine comments about just like oh. well we're just ready for the playoffs oh like, oh
0: oh uh you've um my podcast partner in uh Mo, moda keel on, on Nerdish, she wrote in particular uh uh, will not let anyone forget those comments. So yes, I, I I'm, <laughs> we are well aware of the board of the regular season uh, 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 opinions.
1: Well, and that's like to me that would almost be. Uh, a, I know that's again low expectations, but that would be something for me. It's just like avoiding the letdown. It seems like something. Is that, that is that nuts? I don't know. The Mavs have better vibes than the Hawks ever did.
0: I mean that. But, uh, I mean. On some level, yeah, it's it, we sort of talking levels of success. Yeah. Um, that's like it wouldn't be it's sort of that wouldn't be the worst thing that could happen, but I'm not sure how I'm not sure how how those how the vibes are into the coming into the off season if they win forty seven games, get the sixth seed and lose in six not particularly like lose not particularly competitively in six games to Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Are there Olympics next summer? I can't remember. I went through the international basketball schedule and I just can't. Like, I'm a little thrown off by everything. No, no, because they played on 2012. Then they played this last summer, 2021. So, then the reason I throw that out there is because, like, the 2024 was, like, the big end point for Luca's, like, massive international competition because he's just playing all the time. And so it's. There's an element. I'm thinking like real big picture of like, what are our various milestones with him and like, where is his headspace going to be? Because if like the Mavericks have a rough, rough earth season, say like a first round exit, um, then you go into a real long off season. What does that do? What does that mean? I don't know. We're projecting so far in the future right now. It's so hard to, to be rational about it, but I just. I think coming off a of conference finals that was unexpected. I think both the Mavericks and I mean Nico Harrison talked about this. It's they have to figure out what reasonable expectations are for them as a team.
0: And you know, that's that, that's always. I, I think that's actually one of the toughest things to do because you know the the the, 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 the factors which lead someone to bias towards optimism in sort of the, the, the sphere of professional athletics is overwhelming and it takes a particularly, it would be particularly unusual for a group to be able to fight against that in, in, in this yeah. situation. Um, and so it's not like, you know, I, I don't think us saying we're, we, we are, we expect them to set unreasonable expectations is, I don't think we're, we're, I don't think we're describing anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm overall, I'm in a pretty, I'm in a pretty, uh, let's just wait and see what happens because the, where the Mavericks have gotten crushed the past two years is they've started off badly and then they've had to dig themselves out of it. And if they start better this year, then I'm probably going to say, okay, well, let's just, let's just get to the postseason and see what happens.
0: <laughs> How, and, and that is a, a wonderful prediction to end on. Get to the postseason, see what happens. Um, anything else you want to hit anything you have uh you, you 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 wrote uh recently uh anything you particularly want to respond to no just kidding uh.
1: <sighs> i've not read anything i've like i you know i was turn like i turn out a lot of flotsam um just sort of the nature of our site where it's just like you put stuff up you aggregate but at the moment just not I, i'm 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 really looking this is kind of a i don't want to get into this i'm tired but I love the season series thing. Mark Stein tweeted about this. The Mavericks have six back-to-backs where they're playing. Not back-to-backs. Like, where they play New Orleans twice in a row or Memphis twice in it. a row. I love, love that. It. Love it. Yeah.
0: Like, it, like it, if we can get a little more ill-tempered regular season basketball. Yeah, it's
1: exciting. I mean, like, the yeah. Mavericks play Memphis three times in March. Like, that's must-see television for a basketball fan.
0: Yeah, uh, I was, that's one of the, 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 the uh, completely off topic, I think that's one of the great disappointments of last regular season, is that when the, the Suns and Mavericks, a uh, Suns and Warriors played three times in December, only one of the games were were both teams at reasonably full strength, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and it's just like, oh, what could have been?
1: Some of the but, stuff that they've done are great, it's just Great. And it's going to matter, too, because I think it, some of this discourages um, resting of players, I think, to a degree. Because, you know, you're playing, like the Mavericks played Denver twice in November. You're not going to rest guys in November. But you play Memphis twice in March. You can't rest Luka or Ja unless you're just conceding. You know? I love it. Anyway.
0: All right. Well, that's a... It's a great. It's as good a spot as any to end. Uh, in Kirk Henderson, enjoy the rest of the off season. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Uh, Post child bedtime tonight for both of us, and uh, um, I'm sure I will talk to you again soon. Have a good one, buddy. But for listening, everyone, I will be back next week with guests TBD at this point. Thanks for listening. Good night.